Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Yeah, just looking at the uh, Preakness website uh, or the Pimlico website for the Preakness this weekend. And the big headline there is a jewel to remember. Uh, and that is well said by the marketing people uh, at Pimlico and the Preakness. Uh, it is Preakness 145, one of the most unique Preaknesses in a most unique year we've had for both, uh, of course, racing uh, and our entire country during a pandemic. This is the Winners Club Podcast, special racing edition, Preakness Stakes edition, as they'll run this final jewel, the Cripple, Triple Crown, on Saturday, October 3rd, uh, normally this thing is running the, the third Saturday in May. So we're six months later. It's not the second jewel, the middle jewel. It's the third jewel, the Triple Crown, and what has been a wild year for, for all of us. And admittedly, as we get set to talk about uh, the Preakness and a bunch of the stakes races on the card on Saturday at Pimlico, it looks like an unbelievable day of racing this weekend. Both, you know, Saturday, days of racing, Saturday and Sunday, and then next weekend feel like two little mini Breeders' Cups before the Breeders' Cup actually in November. Um, you, you point out that, once again, I thought this race was going to stink. You know, we're about to talk about the Preakness here in a second. I thought this race would stink. I thought that the talented horses would, would train up to the Breeders' Cup. I thought that no one would want to ship into Baltimore, and I was dead-ass wrong. It's a great race. The, on paper, it might be the best of the three Triple Crown races. The stakes races are great. The Derby winner is here. A horse inauthentic. A horse that would have been the Derby second or third choice. Our collector is here. The fastest filly maybe in the country. Swiss Skydiver is here. Baffert's got a second horse in here. Steve Ashton's got a long shot that can win. It's a big, deep field for 145th running uh, of this uh, Preakness Stakes at Pimlico. All part of this awesome racing weekend. We'll have some great guests on here uh, to help you walk through uh, the six races that make up the pick six uh, on Preakness Day at Pimlico. Our buddy Matt Bernier, he, of course, of uh, NBC Sports and TVG. He's going to be all over TV coverage this week. We'll talk about that. So follow him on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt uh, for all his stuff this weekend. And then our buddy Dick Girardi uh, from the Racing Forum has been covering racing for a long, long time. And uh, I mentioned this before, Dick's got the best strike rate uh, of any of us. Uh, on these podcasts because he's got just insane how many winners he's picked sort of over and over and over again, especially when he likes the fastest horse in the race, and the fastest horse in this race is Authentic, who won the Derby. Uh, On paper, it's about Authentic. It's about Art Collector, who scratched Derby Week, would have been in the top three. It's about the Philly Swiss Skydiver. Those three look like standouts on paper. Um, And the question becomes, are you going to bet on one of the three favorites who will be 
I don't know, nine to five, two to one, and probably four or five to one? Or do you like somebody outside that type top three? I think on paper, this preakness, folks, uh, the top three are all logical candidates. I would not talk anyone uh, off any of them. But as somebody who did not like authentic in the Kentucky Derby, I can't bet on authentic again. And so for me, and we'll get to it with Matt and Dick coming up, because both guys, in fact, will mention the horse I like, and we'll talk about it with Matt specifically. There's a 20-to-1 morning line horse that I think he can win, but more importantly, can hit the board at a really big price. And Matt and I will argue about what kind of price he will be. But there's a horse in this race for a really good trainer who's been pointing to this race really since the uh, late portion of summer, who is 20-to-1 on the morning line, who I cannot wait to include uh, in my picks. I'll use him as an A-horse in all the the horizontal races, uh, the races that will end up in the Preakness and and get us to uh, pick threes and pick fours and pick fives on Saturday. I'm going to use him underneath for sure in his actors and trifectas, and I'm going to bet him a little bit on top, depending on what price he is. But to get my pick on it, you have to listen to the podcast. We'll talk to Matt Bernier, talk to Dick Dick Girardi. It's the Pimlico. It's Black Eyed Susans, which is some sort of – it's too sugary for me, man. Not It's not my drink. It's there's a, the, the sour mix doesn't do it for me. But it's a great day of racing. We got all the picks for you. We got the winners, hopefully – So get your pens out, get your paper out, let's go. It's Preakness Weekend 2020, 145th running, final leg of the Triple Crown here uh, in what has been a crazy year for all of us. Let's get to the Preakness handicapping. Well, this is uh, certainly a unique uh, Triple Crown. It's going to cap off with the Preakness on Saturday afternoon. NBC's got some coverage. And our guy Matt Bernier from NBC Sports and TVG, of course, is joining us coming off his $32 push on She Dares the Devil in the Oaks on this podcast a couple weeks ago. Maddie, good morning. How are you? Good, Mike. How are you? It feels it feels odd that we are uh, talking about the Preakness in October, but so is the case. Everything is weird in 2020, and here we are. This is actually now a win and you're in for the Breeders' Cup Classic for the first time. <laughs> that's, I guess that sort of sums it up. The Preakness <laughs> gets you a ticket into the Breeders' Cup Classic, and uh, yeah, obviously – it is not just the Preakness, man. The, the, this week and next week are just really, really good racing weekends, especially this weekend. Where are people going to catch you on TV? Because I know you're down in uh, Kentucky. What's the plan for Bernie or on my TV this weekend? Yeah, I'm not sure when folks will be able to hear this part of it, but Friday afternoon, uh, 4 to 6 on NBCSN and TVG. Saturday, I'm just going to be doing a quick hit during the Preakness broadcast from Keeneland, kind of updating the win and you're in action that's happened thus far. Sunday, I believe it's 5 to 6 on NBCSN. Don't quote me on the time, but NBCSN right around there. And then next Wednesday, we'll also have a time slot on NBCSN and TVG. There's, it's just, to your point, I mean, we, we've got great racing essentially for the next uh, 10 to 14 days. And uh, much of it revolves around the horses getting ready for the Breeders' Cup. These are sort of those final prep races to get them ready to go for the World Championships the first Friday and Saturday in November. And I think there, to me, there's added significance to these races that are happening here in Lexington just simply because this is the venue that we're going to be seeing the championships run over. So if you can prove yourself over the dirt and the turf here at Keeneland, uh, you know, a few weeks in advance, I think it's a feather in your cap. Yeah, it's a head on uh, your head on a swivel type of weekend if you're looking at these races because you normally focus on Preakness, but now you got to be focused on Pimlico and New York and locked in on Keeneland. And thankfully, there'll be some great TV coverage with our buddy Matt Bernier, uh, and he'll have coverage on Twitter as well at Bernier underscore Matt. As far as the Preakness goes, Matt, I did not think the race is going to come up well uh, or good, I should say. I, I thought that of the three Triple Crown races, this would be the worst. And 
uh, at 24 hours out, pretty good feel for the Preakness on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I, I echoed that same thing months and months ago. I said the real loser of this this sort of reconfigured Triple Crown is going to be the Preakness because what good horses are going to be running there knowing the Breeders' Cups four weeks later unless there's a Triple Crown on the line? And lo and behold, it's the best of the three Triple Crown races. So who knew? Go figure. Um, I, I agree with you. I think this is a, an interesting spot even without Tis the Law simply because you've got a horse in Authentic where I feel like I feel like the narrative more and more is or at least what I'm reading is that people are wanting to say, okay, we'll, we'll prove it, prove that the Derby wasn't sort of a one-off. The only thing I would caution with that is, well, what do you make of the Haskell? What do you make of the San Felipe? It's not like this is a, a, a you know, a, a one-off horse who, who's just performed once and only once he's, he's five for six lifetime. And his only loss was a second place finish in the Santa Anita Derby. So I think he deserves to be the favorite in here. I don't know that he's going to have, things quite as easy in the front end this time around. And I don't want to say that he had him easy in the Derby, but it was an uncontested lead. I think someone's going to go and keep him honest here on Saturday. Well, I mean, that's, you said prove it. I guess to me, prove you can run a race where you're not going to have the type of lead he had in the Derby. Now, I'm saying this as someone who didn't like Authentic at all in the Derby and ripped up every single one of my tickets when he went wire to wire. But to your point, Matt, it's a much different pace scenario because you're looking at two other horses at least that want to be forwardly placed in Art Collector, who's going to be right there, and Swiss Skydiver, the filly, who shows early speed races before. And that's, to me, the show-me part of it, is that uh, can he rate? Can he go wire to wire? Because that's not a winning uh, type of race at the Preakness. That's the show-me part, because the pace looks pretty hot up front early on Saturday. And, and you, I think you brought up sort of the most critical part, is if he doesn't get the lead, then what? Because... Yeah. To date, he hasn't really shown the ability to sit and be as effective as when he's out there winging it on the front end. And, you know, of those two horses that you mentioned, to me, the the, the, the key horse is Swiss Skydiver because I, I don't believe, it's my opinion, that she can win this race with a stalking trip off of a horse like Authentic or Art Collector or New York Traffic or Pneumatic or whomever she's sitting off of. I think she has to go. And there was a little bit of chatter before the Derby. I thought she would get the trip that she did, excuse me, in the Kentucky Oaks. I thought she would get the trip that she did. But there were some folks who kind of flagged the idea that she really has taken her game to the next level when she's been allowed to run in the clear and not have to worry about any sort of kickback or anything. And I wonder if breaking from basically just outside of Art Collector, inside, obviously, of Authentic, I wonder if Robbie Alvarado just has to be aggressive and maybe she's the one that ends up putting enough pressure on a horse like authentic where somebody's going to have to blink early. That's just the way that I'm kind of trying to piece this thing together because I don't think she can win if she's going to sit off of those horses and then try to pass them. Well, let me add you one more to that. Cause I'm with you on the pace scenario. Cause on paper on the time form us pace figs, those three are going to be right there and authentic as a slight lead early. And I think we think he's going to be towards the front. What, in these cases, because you follow West Coast racing more than I do, when Baffert has two horses like this, what's the plan on Thousand Words? Because Thousand Words is putting blinkers on for this race. His best races, Matt, you could argue, have been going wire to wire like he did in the Shared Belief, beating Honor AP. And so I'm trying to figure out you know, how this trainer, who's got the Derby winner, is going to tell Florent Giroux, the jockey on number five, Thousand Words, hey, uh, number four, I should say, you know, uh, number five, you, you can't. You can't go to the front. I know it's the best thing to do. What what does Baffert do in these cases, Matt? I mean, it was, it was kind of the same thought that I had going into the Derby, where you've got two horses who effectively have the same running style. Yeah. I, and I can't imagine 
you're going to run each of them into the ground and duel one another into submission. The blinker's going on as well. That's a bit of an intriguing piece for me coming off of that run in the shared belief. I don't think he's naturally as fast as authentic is. And I'm going to venture a guess to say if one of the other two horses down on the inside, Art Collector or Swiss Skydiver, or both of them go, I think Thousand Words is probably going to be the one that takes off and, and tries to sit some sort of a trip. And and maybe he really has come into his own. I'm going to say the exact same thing now I said about him before the Derby. I don't believe the shared belief. I don't think it was that good a race, regardless of the trip honor AP had in the Derby. And I, he, I'm just throwing him out. If he wins, I'll tip my cap to Baffer and say you did it again. But I, I don't like this horse. There's really not a lot else for me to say about that. <laughs> well, and he's going to be a factor. Um, I obviously did not go on the Derby. And I'll be, I don't know the answer to it. And it's going to affect the race. If he's part of the early pace, it's even faster than I think it's going to be on paper. And obviously those three stand out, not thousand words, but uh, authentic art collector and Swiss skydiver are that next group, Matt, that next group of horses that I would not put on true contender uh, lists. Who are the other horses you're looking at as price potential uh, to use with your pick who we'll get to in a minute? Well, he, he's probably not going to be a great price. I feel like he's going to be a bit of a wise guy horse, but I, I've long thought that the number 10 pneumatic is a really talented racehorse. And you, you go back to his early starts down at Oaklawn Park. He looked really good. They run him in the mat win. He's forwardly placed that day against the horse in Maxfield, who I feel like he's an entirely forgotten horse simply because yeah. he got hurt and he couldn't run in these races. He figured to be a major three-year-old. He's the kind of horse to me that wants that sort of stalk and pounce trip as opposed to being up there. So that mat win, I don't think that was nearly as bad as it looks. The Belmont don't hold that race against him. They were trying to do something a little bit different, a one-turn mile, just draw a line through it. And then he comes back in the Pegasus at Monmouth, and he won pretty emphatically, and he earned a rather competitive speed figure. He's still light on numbers, but I think he has the running style that fits a race like this. And he would need to jump up, certainly, but I don't think that's out of the question by by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Like I said, the problem I have is, I think I believe he's twenty to one on the morning line. I think yeah. he's going to be a fraction of that. I can see Why? him being oh, well, seven on, or eight on. to one. Let me let me jump in because you said this on your podcast Monday. Uh, there, there there are two Baffert horses. There's a Philly. The Phillies always get bet in these races. People love betting closers. They're going to see Mister Big News making that big run for third and that one on one buyer in the Derby. I, I I don't see how he can be the 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 wise guy horse when you have all these other horses in here. I think he ends up going off shorter than thousand words. I'll oh. make that bet with you head to head if you want. I will. T- I will take that <laughs> heads up right now. Make on Done. record on the Winners Club. Uh, thousand words and Bob Baffert shorter price than pneumatic. And is that okay? So uh, against all the teeth of all these other horses we're talking about, including the Derby winner, what makes him the wise guy horse? Because I, uh, I'm using him. He's going to be a key to me to run in the trifecta. I'll probably end up you know picking him on top because of a lot of the reasons that you said. What, what makes him a wise guy horse in a group like this, Matt? Well, I think the connections go a long way. You see Steve Asmussen. Obviously, he knows how to win big races. You take a look and see his overall body of work. He really hasn't done anything wrong. And I suppose if you wanted to take a negative stance on him, you would look at it and say the only times he's tried graded stakes company, it hasn't worked. But he's still so lightly raced. And I think, you know, I go back to that Matt Wynn that was run at Churchill back in, in the middle of May. You know, he was 5-2 to two in that race. That was against New York traffic. That was against Maxfield. He was the second choice in that race. New York traffic was actually a higher price. He was 7-2 to two in there. And, and I feel like New York traffic is a, a bit of a buzzy horse or has been over the past handful of races. So, uh, to me, he just fits that mold of if people are not 
if they don't want to take shorter prices on the big three, and let's just call them the big three for this race, yep. and you don't know if you love thousand thousand words, you don't know if you like the running style or the blinkers or the, the derby issue that he had in the paddock, whatever the case may be, outside of that, now I'm starting to have a difficult time trying to find legitimate threats to, to sort of upend the apple cart. But with a horse like Pneumatic, I guess it's still a matter of I don't know that we've seen his best yet, where some of these other three-year-olds – you know, we're at a point now where you've got a pretty good body of work to know what many of these are and aren't. And it doesn't feel like, to me anyway, for the horses who have run a number of times, I don't think you're going to get a forward move here all of a sudden and, and start number 12 or start number 13. Kind of think you have what you have for this year anyway. Maybe they've moved forward as four-year-olds, but I, pneumatic is the kind of horse who I think there still is another possible forward move. And that if he does move up five, six, seven points on the buyer scale, he's right there. He's right there. And and Bernier, for those who have not listened before, is a big like baseball prospects guy. He loves like the upside, upside, upside. And this is what this horse has. And if you believe some of the chatter out of Saratoga over the summer that they brought him up there to train, just to train and they were pointing towards this race, this was always the target, then you feel even better about the way he's been uh, prepped for it. I'm certainly going to use him. The last race, by the way, uh, three of the four horses that have come back out of that uh, Pegasus have all increased their buyer speeds, plus 2, plus 23, and plus 34. They're not the great horses out of that field, but uh, horses have come back faster out of that race than they ran in that Pegasus. So I'm going to use him prominently. And if he's, if he's shorter odds than 1,000 words, I- I'm really in trouble because that's a, I was not expecting that, but you're, you're more locked in than I am. Let's give you a chance to talk about the horse you're going to pick on top in this race. I think the horse that probably would have been the Derby, what, second, third choice? Did he not scratch the week of the Derby, Matt? Yeah, I, th- I think Art Collector would have been a pretty square second choice in that race. And, you know, it's one of those things. You never know until they go and do it, right? And I understand he he defeated Swiss Skydiver two starts back at, at Keeneland here. But it, it's a matter of factoring in the way that that race was run. That, that track at Keeneland for that five-day meet in July was a conveyor belt. You needed to be relatively close to the pace to have any chance. So, okay, you know, maybe he overcame that a little bit, but he was still pretty close to the front end. In the Ellis Park Derby, look, let's just call it spade a spade. He didn't beat a very good group, but he did it the right way. The the big piece for me with this horse is, and I, I'm a, a big proponent of proper mechanics and things like that, and we talk about it. You see it with pitchers and with quarterbacks and arm angles and all this different stuff. You know, typically the guys who have poor mechanics, they're the ones that usually end up on the injured list or missing time or whatever it may be. But at the same time, there are exceptions to the rule. And I wonder if Art Collector is just an exception to the rule. And, you know, I, I, I'm not going to compare him directly to Gunrunner, but Gunrunner, who Ooh. won, uh, you know, $16 million or whatever it was in his career, he did many of the same things. He had similar running styles. He was very goofy with his lead changes. He continued to swap them throughout, and it didn't make a difference because he was just that good. And as more and more time goes by, I'm starting to get that kind of feel for this horse. And I wonder if he is just, Simply put, he's just he's just too good to, to worry about lead changes and things like that. I think he works out a really nice trip. I'm hopeful it's something similar to the bluegrass, where Swiss Skydiver goes, authentic goes, he sort of sits that pocket trip, and he takes his chances around in the far turn. We'll find out if missing that little bit of time before the derby is going to compromise him, but it seems like he's been working a storm up. And, and I think this is also a critical race, not just for the Preakness, but perhaps for the Classic, because, he, again, he's proven over Keeneland's main track that's nothing to, to, you know, kind of just sneeze at. I think that's a pretty important piece. Again, he, he may not be as fast as, you know, the improbables of the world or, or the Tom's Day Taz or, or anyone like that, but 
he's not that far off, but he's a three-year-old. And if you think you get a little move forward, you get a little move forward. He's right there with those big boys. So I think I think Saturday's race in the Preakness is big. Uh, I, I like the analysis, Matt. Uh, what would you like to see as a not that you're betting to win, but would you like to see as a, a, an off odds on him on Saturday? I wouldn't be opposed to betting him at five to two. I think he's going to be probably flirting with that two to one, five to two, three to one range. It really depends on how how sort of ambitious folks are with authentic because I think he's he's going to be the key as far as the wagering goes to me I think if people go crazy and make him even money then maybe you do get five to two three to one if he ends up staying closer to that nine to five two to one range and art collector is sort of the the you know the alternative there maybe he does sort of co-favorite vying for that piece but I think much of it will depend on how crazy people are for authentic what would be your top three uh, to round out so people know behind our collectors, your top pick on Saturday? Uh, I would go with Authentic in second. I would go with Pneumatic in third. And then I would go with Swiss Skydiver in fourth. I think it's going to be a ra- rather formful race. I don't see any real reason to, to try to reinvent the wheel here. Many of the other horses running, I just I, I kind of feel like you either either know what they are or their best isn't good enough to, to sort of run with the big the big top three or four so yeah, or, that, or, again or, or, kind of boring but that's where i am no or their running style would not you know lead you to believe they can get there to win if you want to tell me that you know some of the closers here could clunk up for for maybe second third and fourth and round out you know exotics i'm with you but it does feel like on paper uh, the horses matt mentioned are the big contenders in this race so what we have to do then uh, is then try to make some money in this race other ways we do that through multi-race bets and matt bernier is really good at putting these bets together uh, so let's do a couple of the races here, Matt, and we'll get you out of here. We're talking on Friday morning. Uh, should mention, well, we'll get to it with the ninth race, but the 10th race on Saturday, uh, the double leading into uh, the Preakness will be the mile and an eighth, black-eyed Susan, three-year-old Phillies. I am really lame. I think the favorite, Bonnie South, will be tough to beat. What do you like here on the black-eyed Susan, Matt, as a double into the Preakness on Saturday? I mean, Bonnie South just looks really difficult to get around in here. Uh, I think the distance is right up her alley. I thought her run in the Alabama was really strong. I had that race circled for months and months and months, and she she ran her race. The problem was she ran into Swiss Skydiver, and there's no shame in losing to a filly like that who we know how talented she is. I, I don't have a ton of interest in trying to go against Bonnie South. I guess if you were trying to really kind of throw out a bit of a wild card, maybe the number 10 landing zone for Claudio Gonzalez. Uh, he's pair, she's paired up by her tops in each of her past two 85s. I typically think that precedes a forward move. Um, I, I don't, again, she, she has a nice running style. She can be forwardly placed. This is far and away the toughest company she's ever going to face thus far in her career. Um, and I'm not suggesting she's a likely upsetter. But if, you're, if you don't want to take the chalk, maybe you want to use a horse like the 10. But I, I just I have a hard time getting around Bonnie South. Yeah, I'm taking the chalk at least, uh, you know, prominently as an A. The, the horse I'll mention is my price underneath to be perfect alibi for Mark Cassie, who you know, showed some talent as a two-year-old, has not come back the same, but they finally stretched her back out off the shorter races. Blinker, blinkers go on for Mark Cassie and going to be, I think, double-digit odds, but I think Bonnie South is a really, really uh, tough horse to get away from. And that may allow you to place in these late pick fives and even the pick six into the Preakness. The race before that, uh, I want to mention before we talk about it, the J.W. Murphy race number nine, uh, Matt, Friday, we're talking Friday morning. Race is off the turf uh, today at Pimlico. There's at least some idea that it's going to be a heavier turf this weekend. It hasn't rained a lot, but I guess the fall weather, Matt, does sort of change things. So it might affect my pick, but uh, I'm curious. In what feels like a really wide-open race, what do you want to do uh, in race number nine? Starts a pick three, a 50-cent pick three into the Preakness. 
this is probably my most interesting opinion of the, the four races we're going to talk Ooh. about, simply because, you know, I again, kind of Captain Obvious with the Preakness, Captain Obvious with the Black-Eyed Susan. Uh, the number 11 by land and sea in this spot, I think, is a better horse than that last race is going to suggest. They went five and a half furlongs up at Saratoga. That was a, a pretty significant turn back from a two-turn, seven and a half furlong race at Parks, in which he went gate to wire for Steve Claseris. That was his first start since the end of October last year. So this is a horse who theoretically is still sort of rounding into form, trying to figure things out. It's also worth noting in that stakes race at Saratoga, the top two finishers, they went one, two the entire way, and he tried to rally from well off of it. He's proven himself over less than firm ground, which is more likely than not what he's going to get on Saturday. He has a little bit of tactical speed where I don't think he has to come from 100 out of it, but he's also not going to be up there pushing the pace, I don't think. And I don't think, you know, again, he, he's it's sort of the same narrative I was building with Pneumatic, where you see many of these other horses who have run seven, eight, nine, ten times. I, I think you still could possibly get that forward move from a horse like by land and sea. And he projects to be a, a much better, or I shouldn't say better, more appetizing, more appealing price to me than some of the shorter numbers in here. Uh, so the number 11, by land and sea, I think he's a horse with some talent, and I want to give him a look in here. I have the same feeling, Matt, that I was looking for an outsider. And I mentioned the turf because there's a good chance the horse I'm going to mention here may scratch uh, if it ends up being really heavy. But I want the first-time turf trier, Monday morning quarterback, who has shown to be a pretty talented two-year-old a year ago, falling just short against New York traffic and then winning uh, you know, stakes race at Laurel a year ago. And they brought him back in the Tessio. He ran well. I, th- I thought they might run this horse in the Preakness. Uh, Robert Reed ends up trying the turf with him. He looks like he's going to have a, a good opportunity to be on the pace in this uh, race. It's a mile. They're cutting back off a mile and an eighth. I love imagining as a turf sire, that's what all he was doing uh, when he raced. And so at 8-1 to one or better, Monday morning quarterback for me, and I say all that saying if it's heavy turf, he may scratch out of the race on Saturday. So uh, be advised, uh, making a first-time uh, turf opportunity, the number nine Monday morning quarterback is a horse I'll use with Matt's horse and then Don Juan Kitten, uh, who's gotten some uh, decent setups at Saratoga. We'll see what he does uh, here in the Preakness. You're going to be in Lexington, a beautiful city, whether it's uh, you know, Keeneland time or not. Uh, and the the jewel there, Matt, will be right actually after the Preakness, I guess. The Preakness will be at 530. This will be at 6, the grade one Shadwell Turf Mile. And when there's multiple Chad Brown horses, I normally get it wrong. Uh, what do you want to do here in what looks like a really competitive one-mile race, race number 10, part of the cross-country pick five that is all grade one races tomorrow? To me, this has been the division as far as the Breeders' Cup is concerned, the mile. Well, I should, the mile and the turf, but specifically the mile. That's been about as clear as mud. Because I feel like all of the good horses, they all kind of take turns beating each other. Some of them don't fire their best shot all the time. Some of them don't like Keeneland, whatever the case may be. And I'm hopeful, fingers crossed, that one of the Chads who he's making the second start off of a lengthy layoff, I think this is finally the time for Analyze It to sort of grab this division by the horns and say, I, I am the king here. You need to come and beat me. And I don't, frankly, I don't know that anybody will be able to. I I thought the run in the Red Bank was really strong. I know he had a perfect trip throughout, but the pace was really pedestrian. And when he got out, he finished full of run. That was his first start since the Breeders' Cup in 2018. Source has been gone for a minute. I think he's only going to move forward here from that start, and I think he's going to run well here and then parlay that into perhaps a win in the Breeders' Cup mile. I I have bad news for anybody that thinks the 9-2 is going to happen, that he is on the morning line. I think he's the favorite when it's all said and done. Uh, Yeah, I I think he's probably 2-1, 5-2. But to me, he is 
the only horse I want in this race, and that's no disrespect to Halliday or Bowie's Hero or any of these other really talented runners, obviously any of Chad's. I just, I'm sick of seeing sort of the same race over and over again where nobody can kind of make heads or tails of it. I think Analyze is the kind of horse who finally shows up and says, no, no, no more of this. I'm, I'm going to take over and, and follow me. Follow me to the promised land. Follow me to freedom. Uh, I'm going to be yeah. a different chat here. Uh, I I don't think I bet this horse you know, probably for a couple of years, but it just felt like a lot of speed in here. Hallett, they got to go to the front with Halliday this time. Uh, Born great is has been sprinting. He's going to stretch out. And I'm going to take Raging Bull to run them down uh, with Joel Rosario. The blinkers come off for Chad, uh, which you know, historically I, I didn't narrow it down to turf and, and mile races, but historically just as a raw figure has been okay for him. I wanted a closer. I've always liked this horse. He's had a, a, an okay run at Keeneland. He's got a win there. Uh, he's also run on the board. I uh, love the distance, seven for nine lifetime at a mile. And he's had his chances, but uh, I'm going to go back to him, Raging Bull. I, I don't know what the price will be again, six to one morning. Like, all these chads, Matt, it feels like their morning line. You you never get what you expect to get, especially on turf, because everyone wants to bet Chad. But I, I know what you're saying about analyze it. I'm going to be on the other chad and what feels like uh, just a really competitive race and a great day of racing at Keeneland on Saturday. Yeah, top to bottom. And I, I really do think, like I said earlier, because these races are happening at the venue, the Breeders' Cup is actually happening. I think they take on sort of added weight and added significance because this could be a precursor of things to come, especially in a division like this, where it just feels like it, it, it's very difficult to make heads or tails of. I feel the same way about not necessarily that the divisions are sort of up and down, but you know, the two-year-old boys and the two-year-old girls are going to be running on the main track and the turf for the first time here coming up. Uh, we're recording this Friday morning. The the girls are running on the on the main track this afternoon while we're on. I think that's a major feather in your cap, regardless of talent for some of these other horses coming out of town. If you've already shown that you can handle the main track, and I, I talk about it, I sound like a broken record. Some horses handle Keeneland and some don't. For whatever reason, your guess is as good as mine. But it's a quirky track, yeah. both the dirt and the turf. And I think there's I think there's really something to be said about already showing that you can handle it. And that's why I think the, these races, uh, not just this weekend, but also leading in through the, the following week at Keeneland are, are really that important as far as the Breeders' Cup is concerned. It's a great point, Matt, especially on turf. We'll get you out on this. I, I've noticed that even if a horse doesn't appear to be in great form on the turf, if there's some, if there's a history on that Keeneland turf course, some horses just really take to it. And I, I, I don't know why that is. They'll go elsewhere and run and not run well and go back to Keeneland and run well. And you have a lot of horses circling back to Keeneland. So keep an eye on that. Uh, this weekend. Matt will be locked in on all this stuff. Uh, it's Bernier underscore Matt on Twitter. I gave you the wrong stupid Twitter account last time when you had Matt on. I feel bad about it for a month now. <laughs> Bernier underscore Matt on Twitter. Racingpicks.com will have picks up there. Those are free uh, for you as well. Anything else, Matt? People, anyone want plugs here before we get you on your day for a Friday in Lexington? No, I, I think just everybody kind of get locked in. And what I've been saying on my show for, for the longest time, don't wait. And I know we're, we're focused on the Preakness and whatnot. Don't wait to start doing your Breeders' Cup homework until, you know, Wednesday night beforehand because it's not going to work. There's just too much going on. There are too many fresh horses and new names that you're not familiar with, whatever it may be. Start doing your homework this weekend. Take your notes, do X, Y, and Z, and start planning accordingly and get us ready for the Breeders' Cup here in about four weeks' time. I can't wait. Matt, thank you. Great insight as always. Best of luck this weekend. We'll talk to you uh, Breeders' Cup weekend, my friend. You got it, bud. Well, and as we count down to Saturday's festivities, both uh, well, really everywhere between New York and uh, Lexington, and uh, I think the highlight will be at Pimlico, Hi-Ho Pimlico, Old Hilltop. You'll have 
The Preakness Stakes just after 5.30, and a guy who's covered a lot of these Preakness Stakes is our buddy Dick Girardi, the Daily Racing Forum, today with us courtesy of betonline.ag. Uh, Dick has been a big part of this podcast for a lot of years, Dick, and I, I'm not, I won't venture to guess how many Triple Crowns you've covered, how many Preaknesses you've gone to, but I, I'm guessing this is one of the most unique uh, Preakness years and Triple Crown years you can remember. Yeah, no question. Uh, this will be the first time I have not been at Pimlico for Preakness Week since 1978. Wow. Uh, so, so yeah, I've been to uh, I've been to a bunch of them, um, and yeah, I've covered them all since I want to say '87 uh, for the paper. Um, so yeah, this will be the first one I, I'm not physically in Baltimore for. I'm, I'm writing some stories, but. You know what? It's that kind of year, Mike, and we just got to deal with it and get get to the other side of it, hopefully, at some point. But thankfully, all the Triple Crown races have been run. Really, all the major races almost have been run. We'll have the Breeders' Cup in five weeks, so we're getting that, but it ain't like being there. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know, thinking of now how it happened, I mean, I, I don't know what the odds would have been, but I, I don't think a, a lot of people would have believed when the this whole thing started back in March that even though with the, the schedule changed, they're going to get all these races off. It's kind of miraculous given how many people, you know, are around racing and it speaks to how seriously racetracks took this dick and put the protocols in place so that there weren't huge outbreaks. And when there were guys took two weeks off and tracks shut down, you know, guys going in and out and it apparently worked. This little racing bubble worked for the sport this year. Yeah, there's no question. And I think what the racetrack did better than anybody else. And, and part of it is the fact that it's a little ecosystem, obviously the whole backstretch, those people are there every day anyway. Uh, so if you test them early on and don't bring anybody in from the outside, you got a chance. Uh, the biggest issue were the jockeys and the trainers, and they were kind of only allowed in when uh, when they were riding or training a horse. So they kept it to the minimum. Uh, few fans at most racetracks. Some fans are getting to come back now, obviously none for the Preakness. But, yeah, horse racing did a tremendous job with it. And as you know, uh, Mike, there were a number of tracks that never shut down. Gulfstream Park yeah. kept running. Oakland Park ran right to the finish line. So it was just a question of doing it right, and horse racing did it right. And the fact that 90% of the money sped away from the racetrack anyway has mitigated against huge downturns at handle. Now, we haven't had downturns in the Triple Crown races for obvious reasons because there can't be anybody at the tracks. <laughs> and the pre- and the Preakness this week, I mean, it's 150,000 people at the Derby. There'd be 100,000 at Pimlico tomorrow. But the Preakness this week, they're probably in the worst of the three spots just because of the incredible sports competition this weekend. I mean, what isn't playing, right? Everything everything is going on. Oh, yeah. So they're in kind of a tough spot. But those of us who love it, and that would include you and me, uh, we'll be paying attention uh, late Saturday afternoon around 536. I think people would be interested to hear your, your quick breakdown of what we saw uh, in Kentucky. I, I was on Tis the Law like a lot of people were after what he was uh, able to do. Uh, in New York for a couple of races, and uh, I, I was w- among the surprise that Authentic was able to go wire to wire uh, and hold on there with John Velasquez's heavy ride in the lane. What did you make of what we saw in the Derby this year, Dick? Well, I thought the only way that Tisla was going to get beat was exactly the way it happened. Uh, if Authentic, who obviously had some really good races, was able to clear the field and keep going. Now, you wouldn't have thought that was possible from the Haskell as he looked like he was just gasping for air at the end. But then you watch the work pattern coming into the Derby. It was classic Baffert. I mean, going hard, four works in 17 days. I mean, a six furlong, another six furlong, a mile, 
a six furlong. Man, he was so sharp and so fit by the time he got to Kentucky. I gave it serious consideration, but look, in the end, I, I liked his the law because if he ran back to his drivers, he would have won, but he didn't. And authentic ran great. Thought his the law ran really well, but it's Bob Baffert. It's the Derby. He know, the man knows how to win the race. And as we know, historically, the the horses you want to be involved with, especially at the top of your tickets and, and win bets and picks and things like that, uh, in the Preakness is the, the Derby. Is there any reason to think because of the reconfiguration of this thing and where we are that it won't be one of the horses we saw that ran in the Derby? Because those are the ones you want, not the uh, – and people don't like this phrase, but it's the reality. The new shooters in the Preakness, Dick, uh, I always give the Derby uh, racers and runners uh, more consideration than the new horses we see on Saturday. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I do think, Mike, this is a little different for a couple of reasons. Uh, and Baffert made the point the other day that I've been thinking about. He said he really wished it had been a two-week turnaround uh, because his horse was so sharp and so fit And that's why all of his derby winners, all five of them previously, have all won the Preakness. And most of them were better in Maryland than they were at Churchill. Uh, And I think the two weeks really helps them because they're so fit already. Now it's four weeks. And I think, look, I think Authentic's still the horse to beat. But I think it brings some other factors into play that normally wouldn't be there. And when you're talking about new shooters, this is also unusual because Art Collector would have been in the derby. Right, They wanted to run him in the Derby, and he would have been the second choice. Now he's got eight weeks instead of four. Thousand words would have been in the Derby had he not gotten scratched 15 minutes before the race. He's, he's two months off, which, it, as you know, in horse racing, that's a factor. Uh, I don't know that if they, the race had been in two weeks, if we'd have gotten Swiss Skydiver. Uh, so the fact that she ran in the Oaks of so 15 days, she's running – I don't know if our collector would have been ready. Remember, he had to be out of training for about a week if it had come back in two weeks. So this year, I think the two weeks is actually mitig- or the four weeks is mitigating a little bit against, against authentic. But his work at Churchill, the first one back, he looked as good as he did at Santa Anita. And I'll also tell you this: our collector's work on the 19th was a tour de force. It was awesome. So I think he's going to run great tomorrow. But, yeah, normally I would say to you, absolutely, it's only the Derby horses. I do think this year is a little different. All right, sounds like you're looking towards – and, again, it feels like on paper we talked about this with uh, Matt Bernier. It just – it feels like a race where the top three or four contenders are, are the top you know, two or three choices in this race, and it makes sense. How do you want to separate then – authentic and art collector do you want the horse that that ran that big race in the derby you want the horse has been off since august 9th yeah i would say if authentic wasn't trained by baffert and he hadn't won the preakness like seven times i might give art collector a real a real look uh Tommy drury had never won a graded stakes race till he won the bluegrass so this is kind of uncharted territory for him uh guy's been around 30 years he just didn't have those kind of horses wasn't, wasn't like he couldn't train he just didn't have the right horses and I do think, in looking at the race, when I first looked at it, Mike, I'm thinking, boy, there's more speed than there was in the Derby. And I think that's accurate. But I don't think there's more speed that's going to be in front of Authentic. I think he's still faster than these horses. Uh, remember, he didn't even break that well in the Derby. and He still was able to easily clear the field. A lot of it's going to be rider intention. What's Brian Hernandez going to do on Art Collector? Uh, what's Horatio Caramano's going to do on uh, New York Traffic? Uh, those are the horses, to me, the next best speed. I don't think Swiss Skydiver is quite fast enough to be out there, and I don't think Kenny McPeak wants her out there anyway. But, yeah, you put Authentic on the lead again, somebody's going to have to run a great race to beat him, and to me the only horse that could do it in that circumstance would be our collector. Uh, All right, so- I, think it's those, yeah, I think it's those two. 
All right, so help us out. Uh, the, the question I'm going to have going into Saturday, and, and again, we, uh, you've covered you know, more of these races, and you, 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 know, you mentioned Baffert the other day. What does Baffert tell Florent Giroux about 1,000 words? Because I, I, the reason I didn't like Authentic in the derbies, I thought, well, you have two horses. They're both to be speed horses for Baffert. They're knocking each yep. other out. Here comes Tiz yep. the loss. So what what does Purdue do with another speed horse in 1,000 words? Because on paper, on the time form, or pace figures, he's right there behind the top three you just mentioned. Yeah, he's going to tell Giroux, do anything, but don't be with but don't be with authentic. Yeah, it, yeah. I don't know that he's going to want him run run the interference like he did for Justify in the Triple Crown. Remember that on the first turn where he took yeah. out the field with the other horse. I don't think that's going to happen because look, Thousand Horse is a legitimate horse on it on his own. He's obviously won several stakes races. So, but yeah, I, I, and I also, I don't think he's as fast as authentic naturally. I think he just happened to fall into the lead in that shared belief when there was, there was a four horse race and there was no other speed. Uh, but yeah, I, I see authentic in front again. The, the only time he got beat was when he just broke terribly from the outside post at Santa Anita uh, and never made the lead was wide all the way around. This is, this is a good horse. And man, when you look at him physically, he looks like he's getting bigger and stronger. Uh, so yeah, I, I suspect he'll win, but it, I much prefer it to be two weeks than four weeks. I think it brings the other a lot of the other horses into play. Well, it's funny you brought it up. Maybe you didn't mean to, but now I just look and you see that you know Baffert's lined up on the outside of the two other speeds and our collector and Swiss guy. Are. I'll be watching the break exactly to see how exactly. Drew starts. On. That, 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 it, go ahead. It's, no, it's the perfect post position for a horse with that kind of talent. <laughs> and if somebody and if somebody wants to just go. And frankly, I don't see that happening because I don't think the other good horses like Art Collector want to get they, they want their horse trapped down inside of Authentic. I, I just I just see him in front again. Uh, look, the Derby had zero speed. He had to be in front in that race. This race does have a little more, but still not not a ton. Uh, I think it's more paper speed than real speed. So, and Authentic is real speed. I mean, this horse is always in front. It's not like a fluke uh, that he gets there. Uh, as the as we look at the rest of the race, Dick, I mean, you've mentioned that uh, I think the horses that people are going to gravitate towards and the, the Phillies with Skydiver. How about from off the pace when you look at some of these closers like a Max player who went to the Asmussen barn uh, from Linda Rice after the Travers into the Derby and ran fifth and was running on late. Mr. Big News, who at almost 50 to one, was able to get third and make that uh, uh, trifecta and superfector pay really nicely in the Derby. Who, who of the off-the-pace horses would you prefer as people are filling out you know, their larger exotic tickets for this race? Yeah, I think Mr. Big News is interesting. I mean, I, I don't think I – didn't, I didn't see that coming at all uh, going into the Derby. He had to approve his number. He got 13 points, best buyer that he's ever had. But if that's real, that's, a, that's certainly a move that's going to get him into the hunt because really nobody moved in the race except Mr. Big News. Uh, he was the only he was the only horse that did like any running at all, and and, and Honor AP of course has now been retired to finish fourth. Um, I tell you, a horse I like uh, that's going to be a bomb, uh, not the win, but to potentially hit it is the ten pneumatic. Uh, I thought his fourth at the Belmont was okay. His last race, I mean, I know he didn't beat much, but it was really good at Monmouth Park, the, the Pegasus, and if he can come back to that ninety eight buyer figure. That's the number that can get thir- second or third in this race. Uh, so, and, I, and it's Asmussen, and it's Joe Bravo, and I think the horse is going to be mostly overlooked in the wagering. But uh, if you can beat one of the favorite, get one of the favorites out of the trifecta, and try to get pneumatic in, that would be my 
my one that I like the most. I'm not a Max Player fan. I just think he gets too far back, and he needs a hot pace, and he just really never run a race that suggests he can win. Uh, so I'm, I'm not seeing him. But to me, it, it, Art Collector has a real chance to win. I think he's absolutely live. And, and as I said earlier, if it wasn't Baffert with Authentic, I would probably pick Art Collector. But it is Baffert, and I've watched this too many times. Uh, I'm not watching it again. I like Authentic. The one of the horse we haven't mentioned, Dick, uh, and we should mention is New York Traffic, who's only 15-1 to 1 on the morning line. And did, if so, finished a nose behind Authentic in the Haskell. Obviously, he was part of the pace and fell apart uh, in the Derby. Gets a local jock in Caramanos. Uh, what, what, where, what is his running style? And if people like Authentic, should they be interested in using New York traffic since they ran so close to each other in the Haskell two back? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Now, these are all Philly connections. I know all these guys that own this horse, including Cassius King, which is part of the Fleet Alex group from 15 years ago. Um, and when I looked at, when I saw they got Caramanos, I'm thinking, boy, they want to send this horse. They got the local guy and he's renowned for sending horses. I talked to one of the owners. He said, no, none of the New York jockeys would come down and ride him. So we didn't have, we didn't have a choice but to get a local guy. And I thought, and it's, until the post positions were drawn, I, they weren't happy with Paco. They thought he should have sent him and tried to get to the lead in the Derby. Uh, but it sounds to me like their plan is, is a no send. Uh, they're hoping to get position and go from there. And why did he run so poorly in the Derby when he had that great spot? They're saying he lost a shoe and some other stuff that's going on. That, that's fine. That may have all happened, but he just couldn't keep up. Um, and I, I, and his races were so good. He was so consistent all year. I was sure he was going to be in the top four in the Derby. It's very disappointing at 12 to one. But if there really was something that happened to him that made that happen, then, yeah, he's got a chance to be in it too. And he's, he'll be more than 12 to one this time. Uh, so your top four, Dick, if you had to, to fill it out, fill it out for the papers, people could write these down and, and be locked in yep. on Saturday? Yeah, I'll give you the numbers and the names. Nine, three, ten, four. So authentic, art collector, pneumatic, and Swiss skydiver in that order. All right, let's look at some of these races. They're going to have a rainbow six that's going to end uh, with the Preakness on Saturday. And we did some of these races with Matt. I want to go the other three with Dick so that we can all be locked in beginning at 2 o'clock uh, on Saturday afternoon. The Preakness is early. I mean, 5.30. You're going to have more races run at Keeneland after that. So uh, you're going to want to get your, your pick fives and pick sixes in uh, early in the day. It's going to start off with the dinner party. It's a grade two on the turf. They'll go a mile and a 16th. This will go uh, as race six here. How do you want to start off uh, this uh, rainbow six that will end in the Preakness? Yeah, one of the other things I've learned in the last couple of years, if Brad Cox has a favorite who looks best on paper, don't try to don't try to get cute. Just bet on horse. <laughs> Factor this is the seven. He's listed at even money. He'll probably go lower. He had won one, two, three, four in a row, then was beaten three quarters of a length and, and Churchill on a turf classic on Derby Day to digital age and ran great. I mean, just ran a yeah. tremendous race. Now and Sean Bridgman has been riding him. He's obviously not here, so Giroux is a pretty good replacement. He's ridden, obviously rides a lot of coxes, really good horses, including Monomoy Girl. So he, he's going to be very, very difficult to beat. And if you're looking for an exact, I'm thinking 7-2, some like at Hot Brown. Uh, it was in the Turf Classic. And I don't know why he ran so poorly that day, but he's way, way better than that. Uh, maybe it was just the fact that he wasn't up near the front. He usually runs up near the front, just got out of his style that day. And uh, he'll get Paco, and I assume Paco will send the horse. 
I don't know if uh, you know uh, Dick snuck in and looked at my notes for this race, but uh, it says right here on my sheet, number seven ran too good to lose last time, and I want to bet back number two, who I, I touted uh, on uh, our Derby podcast, who just didn't. I, I, yeah. same, same thing. Did, did not did not go to the front. I, I liked him all day that day. I thought he had a big shot to be the front. And he's got. Uh, I thought he got a tough yeah. ride from Tyler. Tough ride from Tyler. So I, I, I'm with you. I'm going to flip him and go two seven. But it feels like those are the two uh, in this dinner party. Yeah, I'm going to go back this afternoon and watch that replay again. I want to see exactly what happened. It's just my memory isn't real clear on it. But, yeah, why was that horse so where he was early in the race? didn't make any sense. My memory is clear, Dick. I said, why is the horse I just bet a bunch of money on not at the front? That's that's my memory of that race. Uh, Race number seven, the DeFrancis Dash. They'll go. It's the grade three. uh, Six furlongs. Some very fast horses in this race. Part of what is a really nice card which got some really good fields. Uh, and you mentioned Brad Cox, a favorite in the yeah, last race, Dick. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, turn yeah. the page. Number five, Landeskog, yep. who's coming off that uh, yep. return race. He looks like he's going to be a real gate-to-wire threat, the number five horse here in the DeFrancis Dash. Yeah, I think he's loose. Uh, there's other speed. I just think he's faster. Um, I saw him up close in the Gallant Bob. That was on PA Derby Day last year at Parks when he ran that great second to King Jack where they got that crazy figure of the 108 figure. And I was kind of wondering, you know, where, where is this horse? And then he's off all this time, and he comes back with a new trainer. It was Doug O'Neill last year. Now it's Cox. Um, and the comeback race was great. I mean, he didn't beat anything, but you know he's got talent. If he can get him into the hundreds in this race and the buyer figures, he can't. He really can't lose because nobody else is going to do it. Uh, Admiral Lynch's last race, I don't know what happened there. That was like, huh? You know, where did that come from? But other than that, nobody's really capable of running that kind of number. Yep, and obviously he is named for the uh, hockey player Eric Johnson. Uh, his uh, Avalanche teammate named him after uh, Gabe Landeskog, and he's going to be fast and very tough to beat in this race and maybe a springboard to be in the Breeders' Cup uh, in, in Keeneland in about a month from now. Uh, race 8 yep. is their two-year-olds. They're on the turf. Uh, these are always fun races because you're watching the prospects on turf, and, and big days like this end up drawing some real talented horses. And uh, at least on paper, uh, I don't have a whole lot to go on based on form. Hope for some help here, Dick. What do you want to do? And the Laurel, Laurel Futurity goes as race eight, the uh, late pick four into the Preakness starts here. Yeah, very very quick history lesson. This was a race when it used to be on dirt and run at Laurel Park, won by the great secretary in 1972. Wow. And I saw for the first time affirmed an Alidar in this race in 1977 <laughs> and, and affirmed won it. And I, I said to myself, I think I like affirmed. And I, and I liked him all the way through. <laughs> uh, if, if, Mike, if I told you I was confident about this race, I'd be making it up. Uh, it's two-year-olds on the grass. Not a lot of form. Uh, the one horse that just impressed me visually was the six, Arrest Me Red. Just the one start, five and a half, got a dream trip behind a duel. But it is the Lale Stables, Roy and Gretchen Jackson. That's the Barbaro crew. I think there's some turf bloodlines there. Obviously, the two grand motions will be live, the one and the three. Uh, but, yeah, I, 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 I fell onto the six, but this will be not a race I will be heavily invested in. Yeah, if you're playing pick sixes and pick fives and pick four, spread. It's, a, it's a spread. It's a, this is a spread race. You do not want to look up yep. and say, 
Uh, what do you mean I didn't bet, you know, John Service uh, in a, ra- a, pro- right. a violence horse getting first turf? Uh, what do you mean I didn't bet Steve yep. Asmussen with an Irish yep. bred horse getting back on the turf? It's uh, uh, You're going to have to use a bunch here to get through. And uh, I, no you know, I, might, I might lean on uh, Graham Motion and Pivotal Mission down on the inside, putting blinkers on for the first time, maybe that uh, quick around there trip with Johnny V. But it's, uh, it's not a hard push. I'm with uh, Dick on this. Uh, I'm going to spread here in race eight, and that will cover uh, the pick six heading into the Preakness. As far as – as far as this thing goes, uh, I think unfortunately, Dick, we're, we're in, as far as racing goes, just one hit. The the trend of retiring horses, uh, you know, before before they they really mature or get to a four and five year old year, has continued to mention Honor AP, and it just it yep. there was a stretch where it felt like horses were staying on the track longer. But I think as a race fan, you've got to acknowledge that. Uh, there, there's such a short shelf right, right shelf life right now because there are still owners out there that believe that breeding is the goal, not racing is the goal. And we saw more of that with the retirements this year in 2020. Yeah, no doubt. And it'd be interesting to see what they do with Tis the Law and what's going to be the interest in him. The New York bred as a stallion, yeah, not not incredibly well bred, uh, but obviously a great racehorse and authentic. Is that the breeding rights have already been done there with Spence Spencerith. I don't know that we're going to see him after after the Breeders' Cup. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's a, it's a problem. It's been an ongoing problem. It was so much fun to see California Chrome running as a five-year-old. You know, and that wouldn't have happened except he was an ill-bred California bred that he wasn't a stallion. But, yeah, that's uh, that's the exception to the rules these days, Mike. And it does take some of the fun out of it. We're just getting to know these horses and they're gone. And let's look ahead for a month. I guess I'll get an early lean. We'll talk again for the Breeders' yep. Cup. But uh, you mentioned Tis yep. the Law. Uh, he's yep. skipping this race. He's not here. They're pointing to the Breeders' Cup. He ran so big in that Travers um, and, and ran okay in the Derby. Authentic, I think, just yep. ran better. Uh, what, what, and it's a month away, but given the perspective field, what kind of chance do you give Tis the Law as a three-year-old to take on the Breeders' Cup Classic at Keeneland in November? I think the three-year-olds are really going to be up against it, especially the horses running tomorrow, because uh, they're going to come back on shorter rest like – Maximum Security and Improbable ran last Saturday. They're already older. They're getting more time coming in. Um, I understand what Barkley Tag is doing. Um, I get it. it. The fact that the horse just didn't run it back to his Travers. If, if that Travers can happen again, then Tis the Law is going to have a chance to win. Uh, whether he's got that race again, I don't know, because he's only done it that one time. Not like the other races weren't all good, but the Travers was something different. Um, but Tom Ta, I, I think it's going to be an older horse Breeders' Cup Classic uh, this year. Not to say the three-year-olds aren't good, but the fact that they derby four weeks, Preakness four weeks, now coming back, uh, it, it, that's going to that's going to be difficult for the three-year-olds. Yeah, I, I will tell you, um, I, I was not prepared for what Improbable did last week in California. Was, uh, he, <laughs> he ran off. He ran off the screen. I'm not sure if, if Maximum Security's got anything left in the tank, but Improbable's going to be tough. And as you said, these uh, three-year-olds, it's going to be fun. It feels like we're going to have a deep field for the Classic. It feels like based on this weekend and next weekend, the Breeders' Cup fields will be loaded, even during a pandemic. And uh, we are lucky to have Dick Girardi joining us here to try to work through uh, the final jewel, the Triple Crown. Uh, the Preakness in 2020. It's been that type of year, Dick. Good luck this weekend. We'll talk before Breeders' Cup, and uh, we always appreciate when you uh, put us on some winners because you always do. Thank you, sir. You got it. Thank you, Mike. Well, there you go. Uh, a deep dive on not just the Preakness, which came up as, I think, the best of these three Triple Crown races, but the six races or five races that precede it that make up the uh, Rainbow Six on Saturday at Pimlico uh, and a little bonus pick uh, over at Keeneland. 
uh, from Matt Bernier. Uh, to just to highlight, Matt Bernier is going to go with the Art Collector on top uh, as his top choice here. Uh, Dick Girardi is going to go with Authentic for Bob Baffert to complete the uh, uh, two-thirds of the Triple Crown. And I'm going to go with the number 10 horse, Pneumatic. And Matt and I argued whether or not he's going to be a great price in this race or not. He's 20 to 1 morning line. And I'll just say it again. Given the other horses in here, there's two Bafferts, a Philly, a Derby winner, and a horse that everyone in Kentucky loves in our collector. I think Matt is overrating just how much money this horse is going to take. I love him at 20 to 1. I love him at 15 to 1. I love him at 12 to 1. If Pneumatic is lower than 12 to 1 in this race, the 10 horse. I guess I won't be as excited, and I, I, I may not play as much. But they pointed to this race. He's the type of horse Pneumatic is, number 10, that doesn't need the lead. I think we all believe there'll be some sort of pace in this race. Uh, I think that you want to be off the pace, just a little bit off the pace. I mentioned this earlier. Uh, historically, the last 34 runnings of the Preakness Stakes, only eight. Count them eight wire-to-wire winners. You want to be a stalker or a closer in this race. And for me, at 20-1, to 1, for Asmussen, a Jersey rider, Jersey Joe Bravo, and pointing to this race, he's fast enough on paper. He makes a slight move forward. I'm going to bet Pneumatic on top. He's my top choice of the number 10. I'm going to go Art Collector uh, second. He's the number three horse in here, and I'll go Authentic third. So my top three would be 10-4. No, dummy. 10-3-9 uh, is my top selections, and I'd probably go Swiss Skydiver fourth. So a little bit chalky there, but I'm going to take the 20-to-1 shot uh, pneumatic on top. Uh, they've got lots of opportunities, folks, to be involved here on Saturday. You can spend all day at Pimlico if you want. You can go over to New York and Belmont, which has a great card, including the, the Kelso. Uh, you can go to uh, Keeneland, where Matt Bernie will be, for a huge selection of races there. You can bet the cross-country pick five, which is all grade one races. Uh, bet with your head, not over it. Make sure you're keeping track to my Twitter account, MuttWEEI. We'll do a little uh, handicapping during the day. They're also on Instagram, MuttWEEI. Uh, and you can get this podcast in a lot of places. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave a five-star review. Please helps us out, helps us out and helps out John Scheim and, uh, Chris Scheim and John Anderson, who are not here today, but they produce this thing, my co-host, during the football versions of the Winners Club podcast, and they would like a nice little review and make their day. So good luck this weekend. Uh, keep your head on a swivel. A lot of races to bet. And it's high hope Pimlico. It's crab cakes. You know, well, it's crab cakes and football this weekend because the football weekend. So crab cakes, football, and the Preakness. Good luck, Preakness. 145 from all of us here at the Winners Club Podcast.